1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: So as usual, I've opened the front door and grabbed the first two likely-looking Londoners who happen to be out there. It does seem that everyone's got a story to tell.
0: I think screaming does help as well. Ooh, yes, the warner and They dug out bodies in
2: 1887, 1873. What did he look like when he came out the other end of that? You've got Sarah Palin coming. How do you feel about that?
1: A little bit pathetic. <laughs>
2: So we're in the parlour of Dr. Johnson's house. One
1: sees a story
2: that is both of protests and of coming together. So they're banning people from bringing food to home. Yeah, they're banning soup runs.
1: You know, we weren't buckled by the terrorism. A
0: word in your eye, don't worry or push. A step in the gate is worth two in the bush.
2: Which area of ridiculousness do we start on with that story? Why would you give a medal to a pigeon?
0: Listen, you're all idiots. You don't want to culture or anything <laughs>
2: No running, no throwing. This is pretty serious stuff.
1: You engage with other people, you link across to other people. It's just huge. It's gigantic.
2: <laughs> How many times have you done this so far? That depends. What, what do you think of that approach? I think that's terrible.
1: London life is a really rich experience and there's a lot that's good about living here. Boris Johnson. He weighs as much the as 40 school children.
2: What a peculiar conversation. <laughs> Hello, it's Friday, November the 23rd, 2012. I'm in Quentin Wolf, and this is Londonist Out Loud, a podcast of news, views and curiosities from London, UK. You can download the show free on iTunes, hook up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, or tweet me at Londonist Sound. Well, Sam Lee has, we have agreed, the portfolio career uh, that we so often find ourselves talking about on this show. He is a Mercury Prize-nominated folk singer, promoter and animateur, and he released his debut album, Ground of Its Own, last June 2012. Some of the backstory here to your working life is quite amazing as well, Sam. Apparently, you have been a trained visual artist, a teacher of the wilderness survival techniques, and you have moonlighted as a burlesque Dancer, uh, before embarking onto a journey of the old songs of the British Isles, and you're currently trying to change preconceptions of traditional folk
1: music. Wow, <laughs> that's that's quite a playful. Yeah, um, I kind of I, I I played around with a few things before I settled on the folk music. But um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to trying to uh, reappraise what uh, what contemporary ideas and expectations are of folk music. We'll be digging into what
2: that means in just a moment. We are currently uh, practicing our survival skills at the very easy-to-survive cafe, Oto, in Dorsten, and the founder and manager, Hamish Dunbar, is here as well. Hi, Hamish. Hi. Uh, this is quite a gaffe you've got here. Very, very relaxing sort of place. I've never been here before. I see Italian Vogue has uh, said that this is the coolest place in the universe, or something, uh, some huge accolade like that.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, I've heard that. I, I don't think anybody's actually seen that article. I think it's become part of uh, folklore. But um, yeah, my uh, subscription lapsed a while back, so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But that's, yeah, uh, uh, apparently
2: um, a few years ago. The connection here, of course, is that Sam Lee, as a musician, you're getting ready to perform here, and um, you're quite a supporter of the live music scene in london generally hamish what sort of acts do you find yourself presenting
0: well i I mean i started the space here with with my partner keiko getting on four and a half years ago and i mean the program's pretty diverse but i suppose you would say it's all um what people sometimes refer to as underground music or experimental music um certainly not um Not mainstream music, we try and put things on which don't tend to find uh, sympathetic spaces uh, in in the rest of the city, so it's it's kind of a little haven for things that... Yeah, maybe 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 we'd struggle elsewhere, and we we try and kind of create a space for that. The, the program's quite international as well. It's always it's always drawn quite heavily we, from Japan, which where my partner Keiko comes from. Um, we we do quite a lot of residencies with uh, international musicians and kind of hook them up with uh, UK-based players, and they come and play several nights on the trot. So yeah, the the, the program's diverse, but it's but it's all within that sort of within that kind of field.
1: So Sam, this is an exciting platform, and no mistake. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm. I'm. I think it's a, a real gem in London, if not the musical world. I think what's so exciting is that it's it's an, an, a very experimental liner and you know the risk taking that happens within promoting is huge. So having a space that kind of continuously programs music that it, a, a lot of people would not have heard about otherwise uh, yet has been so successful and there's it's such a regular you know filter capacity place this the people take the risk and I think it's revived a, a, a scene uh, 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 that's been kind of very very continuous in London of, of experimental music and experimental jazz and all that. those sort of threads and really kind of seen a massive expansion of it here. Right, yeah, that's very
2: important, isn't it, to be approaching music with uh, a genuinely open ear, I suppose, and not be just looking for kind of pre-packaged stuff fresh off the conveyor belt.
1: Yeah, I think what's, it's really funny, because Hamish and me, actually, by sheer coincidence, went to art school together and have then both gone off in this, in this, to this acoustic world, and I think seeing the success of somewhere like Café Otto is very important for a musician to see that taking risks in music can be successful. And I've approached my music in a very experimental, very kind of uh, off, off the, the book, off the beaten path sort of mentality. And I think, you know, part of having the confidence to do that comes from seeing uh, a community that embraces those sorts of uh, experimentations. Well,
2: building on that then, let's talk about audience then because your, your mission is to try and knock down some of the preconceptions about traditional folk. I've got to say one of the first preconceptions that I might have is that there's much less of an audience for it than for almost all other forms of music. What are the challenges that you, that you have there in, in terms of reaching people and showing them what folk music is? Yeah,
1: well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an evangelist in that sense and my, my attitude as a promoter because I put on music nights under the Nest Collective uh, and we have actually put concerts on here before um, is that I'm I'm trying I'm trying to preach to the unconverted, uh, and and convert people who have assumptions or uh, you know think they don't like folk music as was pretty much the kind of the common attitude uh, six years ago when I started and um, and I. Th- for me it's actually you know it's it's wonderful music it's a music that reaches people in a very different way that a lot of other musical forms do uh, it goes straight straight to the heart straight to the to the soul and I think a lot of people have quite emotional reactions to folk song traditional music um but it's all about you know it's all about the packaging and it's all about the pr and i and i believe firmly in you know you've got to update the, the presentation and and you don't necessarily have to change the music. I will put on deeply traditional unaccompanied singers alongside some real kind of you know uh and I work on the new folk, old folk, no folk concept. The kind of Trojan horse that so you get you get stuff in that people are comfortable with and with is within their comfort zone, and then I'll throw in some real gems and some real kind of you know out of the box sort of stuff, and people will be you know will be thrilled to suddenly be uh, invited and be uh, be introduced to kind of you know something different
2: and hamish you're obviously reaching uh, further than uh, sim- uh, than just folk you're working with other musical forms as well you're working with art installations and so forth but how much of what sam is saying here is resonating with your approach
0: I mean, I mean, totally. I mean, we, we do have. There is a sort of strand of of, of folk music that happens at Cafe Otto. Um, some quite traditional uh, folk forms. I mean, uh, what I like about folk music is it's it's kind of very, it's very direct, and it's it's really it, it transcends. I suppose what what Sam's talking about, which which I suppose resonates with, with this place, is it kind of transcends any notion of kind of um, fashion or, or anything that's that, that's very transient like that, and it's it's really about the kind of the the core of that music and, and the kind of an inherent kind of beauty or kind of power of of, of the music, and I, and that's what kind of I'm you know I'm interested in is kind of stripping away all the kind of stuff that comes with it and actually just being quite open to to, to the process of kind of listening, and I think what this venue does is it's, it's always a space where people really listen and engage with what's, what's, what's happening and the kind of stuff that goes with that is kind of uh, with, with sometimes how that stuff is, is presented in, 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 in the press or whatever is kind of stripped away and, you, and you're just you're trying to have a very quite a direct engagement between the performers and, and, and the audience and this space really kind of lends itself to that because there's no stage and people sit very, very close to, to, to the people performing. And there's kind of intimacy that lends itself very well to, to folk music, but also other types of, of music like, like free jazz or um, more experimental electronic music, or, or really anything that, that, that kind of benefits from that, that, that kind of direct engagement between the, the, a performer and, and, and an audience.
2: That's very interesting uh, what you say about not having a stage. It does remind me a little bit of the interwar German uh, bistros with the the cafe tables, and you you half expect a a singer to be passing in amongst them. Um, What about Dalston? Uh, You founded the play. How long ago did you found Uh, the cafe? Four and a half years ago. I mean, we we were
0: sort of... Uh, we got a lease on this place I think five years ago and there was a period when we were doing some work to it because it was in a bit of a, a, bit of a state
2: and, and tell me about the changes that you've seen Sam, you're a Dalston resident and uh, you've got the establishment here in Dalston it's beginning to get a reputation if it hadn't already got one as uh, one of the very trendy parts of town what, what sort of changes have you seen in the time you've been
1: here? Um, I, it's been a really interesting change I think, uh, I think it's expanded in every respect there are more dirty nightclubs filling up on Saturday night with you know and the streets of you know have more broken glass on it than they used to but there's also more cultural institutions There's the Arcola theatre's now moved in next door to here Um, and there are more uh, creative spaces more music venues springing up everywhere uh, so I think it's kind of everything expands. the The market is the Ridley Road market is still full of wonderful fruit and veg, and a really rich um, Jamaican, Montserratian community, Asian community, African community, and I I, I sort of feel like. Um, there's there are many positive changes that are happening here uh yet it's also becoming a popular destination on friday saturday nights and you know you may want to steer clear of the high street at those particular times but ultimately having spaces like this and the, you know and the confidence for you know for other promoters and to start opening their spaces up for you know for
0: music for art showings for restaurants for food you know all that sort of thing is is a good thing yeah I mean it's it's changed a, a lot but I, I mean I think you could kind of smell that change coming even when the, when this was open and I mean it's you know that, that 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 Vogue article that you referenced earlier I think that had as much to do with the space uh, you know the, where we happen to, to, to be located as to, to the space itself like uh, I'm not even sure, you know, where, whether they even came here or, or anything, or whether it was just this. You know, there was this there was this space that happens to be in this very hip area. I feel quite removed from from, from quite a lot of that stuff. I think we, we kind of we plough a very particular kind of furrow here, and we we we, we, we do what we do. And I, I I try to kind of be quite blinkered in some respects, to just kind of focusing on on our program making that's as interesting as we can. And and who comes through the door comes through the door. There was it was it, it, we, there was an article recently on us in, in the Guardian, and there was <laughs> all these sort of Comments below were were, were very, um, they were quite attacking of of, of, of of what we were doing, and I and I think a lot of that had to do with, with actually the association of of the, of the area and and all this sort of that it's full of hipsters and things, and actually an, a, a typical cafe audience is, is is very very different from that, and it's, it's very diverse and and. Um, could, could,
2: could we could we just uh, d- yeah. dig a little deeper into that? Because I've certainly heard that myself. The the idea that uh, the sort of the Shoreditch, Hoxton, Dalston hipster type scene is, is somehow inherently suspect or transient or not real or something like that. What what's the
0: uh, what's the basis of that? Or the, uh, and what's the counter to it? I, I think we've become associated with that to some extent. Just as I say, because of where the location is. But I mean, if, as I said, the, the audience for this place is. is often very mixed in terms of age and, and, and background and, um, and, and that's, that's really important to me it's really important that it feels an, an accessible place for absolutely anybody that, that wants to come and listen to things in terms of a, a wider kind of comment on, on that scene I, I, I don't know I mean, and I think these, these, these words have been used so much now that whatever currency they've had have kind of become slightly redundant I'm, I'm not sure what it, a lot of it means a lot of the time um, I think it comes down to the quality of the the music that 's
1: happening, and uh, if an audience are going to sit through two and a half hours of free experimental jazz or old folk music or whatever and uh, and come away with a, of having you know a, a great experience then good on them doesn 't matter what they 're wearing or what, you know who. Uh, where they were brought up i think ultimately um it's very easy to to pick fun at these these hipsters and these trendies but places like otto and the vortex and i and i like to think the nest we we don't we don't make our programming fit our audiences we're quite single-minded in picking what we think is high quality and challenging and you know there'll be nights when nobody comes because it's too challenging and there'll be nights when it's filled up and I think that's a I think that's a uh, a, that has to to remain paramount I think
2: yes that's it I I strongly think that some of those uh, scathing comments or attacking comments that you mentioned Hamish they come from fear don't they somewhere along the line this is uh, an audience or members of an audience that are just a little bit scared to try something different try something new so when they're they're seeing an area perhaps it's got a reputation for everybody trying something new I think that uh, I think that makes people
1: fearful Um, you know I, I, something that I console myself with because I, I'm quite I can be quite we all have our insecurities when I'm you know doing in some trendy spot in Dawson on a Saturday night and I think you know, I'm, in, I'm one of the coolest people in the world and the coolest place in town blah 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 and I look around the room and think god everyone's so bloody cool and actually it's like well I'm a bit of an oddball. You know, I would never think of myself as being cool. I've, you know, my passion is English traditional music. I spend my happiest times with Romany gypsies, learning about, you know, very, very kind of esoteric stuff. And I look around the room and think, well, I actually have no idea what is what are the inspirations what are the motivations what are the things that moves the people in this room the most and just because we're all here under the auspices of it, of it being you know fabulous and fun actually i'm sure there's people with some very kind of special unique or very kind of run of the mill interests and who are we to judge
2: well that's it i think as soon as you're a little way off from a a bunch of individuals they look like a group but as soon as you get close you start to see differences and you start to see perhaps where you can fit in and what's to be had there Uh, speaking of what's to be had there what's to be had here tonight and uh, over the weekend
0: um well tonight we, we have a 70th birthday um celebration of mike cooper who's um He's a slide guitarist. He's he's kind of coming out of a, of a folk tradition, but it's actually it's he also plays in improvised context as well. It's 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 funny that that should be what's happening when we're speaking to Sam here because because it, it's something that straddles uh, t- 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 two two worlds um, that we're both kind of interested in. It's surprising actually how, how often that those worlds of of folk music and 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 improvised music and experimental music do, do collide. And I, I think there's a strong sort of vein of of the improvisation within within the folk tradition, which is uh, an interesting one. Uh, Hamish, I desperately
2: want you to stay with us for the entire show but I know that you've got a cafe to run Yeah, I I might slip away and make some tea but uh, but nice to talk to you No, it's great to have you Um, Before you do go, I I just want to check out because in in a moment I'm going to be asking Sam Lee about um, Moonlighting as a burlesque dancer What's your employment dark secret? What job have you done that uh, is is (laughs) (laughs) the the one you publicise least?
0: (laughs) Well, I I mean, I spent some time uh, uh, in in Japan and... um, and for a while, I was I was being shipped around as a Father Christmas because they they, wa- they they wanted a non-Japanese person turning up to all these schools dressed as a Father Christmas. So I uh, I was I was I was yeah z- zooming around schools around Japan uh, dressed as Father Christmas, which is not something I wish to do again, but was was quite entertaining as, for for a while. Oh, seek and you shall find. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that people can
2: find uh, details of all the upcoming bits and pieces here at Cafe Otto, wh- what's the best
0: website? Uh, it, 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 it's cafeotto.co.uk. Um, it's Otto with one T. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, that's got all our, all our details on it. And also, you can subscribe to our um, e flyers on that as well and, and find out what, what we're up to. Well, Hamish Denbler, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well...
2: One man standing, but he's got survival skills, so uh, he's going to be fine. What about these survival skills? Well, uh, you're teaching people to survive. Is this right?
1: Yeah. Well, I I, I survived it's my childhood, thank God, uh, to, uh, and well, I spent lots of time outdoors, and was always a great, great lover of nature. Even though I grew up in in Kentish Town in central London, I, you know, for me, my happiest times are always uh, outdoors and was fascinated by uh, the plant world, the, tr- the tree world uh, and subsistence culture within indigenous communities and, and uh, around the world, um, which kind of led into my love of British folk when I kind of discovered it. But uh, I, tra- I trained, I learned as much as I could, trained with Ray Mears uh, and then kind of, you know, spent much of my summers teaching and guiding, foraging, that sort of thing. Uh,
2: well, so what, what is the, ge- uh, the germ of that? Interest. How do you first realise that you want to not go down to Sainsbury's for your dinner, but instead want to look in a bush? Um, well, there were a few. Th- Sorry, that, that completely, <laughs> completely belittled the. I didn't mean to do that at all. Uh, but genuinely, I can't. I can't imagine what the what the first step into that is. Well, uh, you've got it.
1: You've hit the nail on the head, actually, that there is a world of, of sustaining subsistence beyond the cellophane Sainsbury's world that we kind of rely upon. And, you know, as a little kid, I had some seminal moments uh, of of picking picking mushrooms finding giant puffballs um, catching a lamprey in a river once and, uh, in, and then all the villagers celebrating my catching of it it was a real kind of um, uh, you know kind of idyllic story from my childhood did you grow up in the middle ages I, uh, <laughs> a lamprey <laughs> for most of the audience have never heard what a lamprey is in fact the most terrifying creatures with this kind of mouth of teeth that kind of suck onto the side of creatures but um, yeah no I had all these kind of wonderful moments where i realized that you know that uh, it's not just about finding food it was about understanding the 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 the, the relationships the natural world has with itself that kind of cycle of life and and i just I, i was i adored the way a mushroom would grow with a particular tree and that kind of symbiosis and the more i learned the more the kind of the natural world kind of sprung into full color and life and i realized you know, this wasn't a peaceful outdoors. It was a wonderfully noisy and communicative life where everything was dependent on each other, and there was this wonderful balance. And I kind of ver- felt very much that I, you know, to tread carefully, but respect and and, and how one could kind of integrate and use and um, and feed. How do you cope with living in in a city, London? Very well very well I, I i see the same sort of relationships i don't see the kind of quite the same cultural biodiversity as i do in a in a, in a kind of in snowdonia national park or some sort of wonderful wild environment but i think you know there are a lot of similarities in the way that you know we as a species integ- inhabit and integrate ourselves within uh, our landscape and um I, you know, I, I, Ridley Road Market is a little bit like you know, <laughs> the, the Great Wilds. Uh, it is a wilderness in that sense. Uh, I love getting a good bargain. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how that all adds
2: up at the, the end of the day, but um, there's, a, there's a great depth to it. And let's dig into these preconceptions. What, what are the other preconceptions that people have that you're keen to overturn as far as folk music go?
1: Well, I think, you know, people look at it as a kind of, backwards looking twiddly d music that uh that's kind of finger in the ear socks and sandals and beards and tankards uh, and yeah those are all connotations which in some ways have are very accurate in terms of a community that have kept it going and really celebrate it and been in love with it um but i i look at folk music um traditional music i should say more than folk music as being our ancestral heritage music. It's, mu- it's the stories and, uh, and morals and tales that have inhabited our culture and have been our code and conduct by which we have, uh, the, you know, certainly the, the, the greater mass of the, the working classes and the people who, you know, have inha- basically the majority of the population have shared our culture and our knowledge and passed it on through the oral tradition. Um, and upheld wonderful v- variations in 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 styles and languages and yarns and uh, and colloquialisms, etc., etc. It's a vernacular culture, and I think it's what gives a hu- the huge diversity of culture that is has been in this country. And I think, you know, when, I, when you ask me what's it like being in the city, I think, you know, the great thing about being in Dalston is that there's a huge cultural diversity, but actually, you know, there's a huge monoculturalism that is sweeping through our country, and, and you know, I think that's something to really be conscious of.
2: So you're preserving the sort of the, the, the very distinct regional differences and so forth. In which case, which region does your music tend towards? Uh,
1: well, I would firstly challenge the word preserve. I, th- I like the word conserve, Uh, i'm about keeping it alive and growing and evolving i'm i'm a little bit of a oddball because i'm an outsider i didn't i grew up in london in this kind of you know malaise melting pot of everything and anything but um but i'm i'm i don't come from britain i'm a eastern european jew who's kind of arrived in this country with my own culture so i see everything in quite a sort of you know objective view uh i've cherry-picked from Irish, Scottish West Country, East Anglian Midlands, Yorkshire everything and and glean the best bits of it so my approach to it is really about creating my own voice, my own approach to the singing and my own acoustic sound because I don't sing unaccompanied, although I do occasionally. Uh, for me my, my album, my creative work, is about creating a new soundscape uh, and an acoustic framing to these ancient songs. Do you work with Jewish traditional music as well? It's very influenced. Uh, it's a very, great very influence in my music. The cello player I work with in my band is a klezmer player. She's studied... Uh, both gypsy and klezmer music Uh, so I have that influence and I think some of my my interest in the gypsy side of British music and I'm not talking about Eastern European gypsy I'm talking about 800 years in this country Romani communities uh, who sing old English songs have brought a modality from the east Uh, their scales and their approach to singing harks back very much to my first musical influences were, which were the cantors in the synagogues so I think I've seen a cultural parallel of indigenous music here with my foreign yet kind of home music
2: just mind blowing incredible one of the great richnesses of this job is to be able to open a door onto a, an area of life that I knew nothing about at all and see so much behind it that's uh, and. Um, I know we've got lots more to say as well. I have to steer us gently towards London stories. Uh, That wasn't very gentle, though. That was like, (laughs) wait, time for London stories. I'll swing
1: it back, don't you worry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't. Okay, we've been looking over the uh, stories that we've we've got in front of us here. The one that I think has inspired us least is this rubbish with the fire engine maintenance contract. The princely sum of £2 was the uh, price for which the entire uh, London fire engine fleet's maintenance contract was sold uh, a little while ago to a company who then. cocked it up and uh, they passed it across to another company and it's uh, they're not doing very well the transfer has been labeled as an unauthorized change of ownership i mean none of this is particularly exciting unless you're really into your politics but i think it does raise the question of what is going on with the public services we've we've had the police's actions called into question people resigning politicians obviously are always involved in one sort of scandal or another now it's the uh, the fire engines who do you basically feel that there's uh, competence going on behind the scenes here in our public uh, services, our emergency services?
1: I, I, w- I wouldn't want to accuse the, the fire service of incompetence in any realm. You know, we rely deeply on them, and I, I, I haven't had direct experience with their skills and their, their services. However, I think what it probably suggests is another example of, of a, a very vital institution which should be protected in every possible way is suddenly being seen as just another carcass to be chewed at by some... You know corporations that think they can make a lot of money out of and that you know the, the incompetence is not within the fire services within the private sectors who seek to try and take over
2: well this is precisely the point isn't it yes no n- nor would I dream of suggesting the uh, the fire service itself uh, has any incompetence at all very brave and dedicated bunch of people but th- this bit has been hived off as with uh, sort of private hospitals or schools under PFI and so forth it just really undermines the
1: whole thing doesn't it I completely agree and uh, and it's only actually where we get put into you know real crisis situations which will arise that the 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 true metal of some of these institutions is going is going to be proved and when we realize some of the massive mistakes the government have made in the selling off uh and you know the the kind of yeah selling off the selling out one of the things that
2: i was uh, listening to a conversation about a couple of days ago was the idea that we the taxpayers pay for infrastructure for energy, which then gets sold off to private companies, usually from overseas, who then charge us through the nose to use the electricity
1: that we've essentially paid for already. Well, I, you know, on a personal level, I've tried to combat that by putting wood-burning stoves in my flat and trying to stay as much off-grid as possible. I mean, you know, I try and stay out of the clasp of the, these sort of services as much as possible. However, I got a chimney fire about three weeks ago and nearly had to call the fire brigade out. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it all comes back to bite us in the end. I've
2: got to say, that's one of the scariest experiences I've ever had in my life, is selling, nearly setting fire to somebody else's uh, chimney, in fact. Ah oh,
1: blimey. Yeah, I, my flu started to, r- like a rocket, just shake and rattle, and then started to glow red <laughs> in my house. I didn't know what the hell was going on. It was quite scary. I can see why you'd be reluctant to suggest in any way that the fire
2: brigade is anything other than completely up to scratch. You may be. Have you sorted your chimney out now? <laughs> I just
1: let it burn itself
2: out and... um did a bit of sweeping. Meanwhile, another emergency service, the City of London the Ring of Steel, as we know the police have got checkpoints around the city and that I think came in uh, around about the time that the IRO were causing their uh, particular form of mischief. Well, uh, things have been changing in uh, and around the square mile. This week the force are operating unpredictable, high impact deployments. In other words, a more visible presence of officers along with a mix of cars, motorcyclists, dogs and other measures and uh, the term other measures could
1: conceal all sorts of things do you drift towards the square mile at all or do you still well clear um, I, I have to cycle through it once a week to do my resonance FM show it's always a really interesting ride because I go down Bishop's Gate uh, and in fact I go past the pinnacle which they've just said you know it's cr- never going to be built the pinnacle great great this great hole this great kind of rotten tooth has been rem- you know, not allowed to grow there uh, I cycle down Bishop's Gate which I remember b- when the, the sit-in uh, demonstrations happened and i remember we took over that that corridor and that was one of the, my most kind of strong memories of occupiance and uh and you know when the banking crisis really at uh, the front and this story stinks of vast amounts of money being poured into protection of the bankers so that no 10th Tent forests spring up ever again. That any protester will ever get in there to speak out against the tra- economic travesties that are going on in the square mile, and it ju- it sucks of of you know protecting the rich, really, you know building the fort- fortifications up. And I, I, you know, I think it's a really tragic story. This, in that sense, do
2: you detect on the horizon events or the, the sort of thing you're talking about, um, some sort of expression of public dissent? for which this
1: is preparation? I, I can't speak if there's, if there's going to be some big uprising. In, in, and if I didn't know, I probably wouldn't say anyhow. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but I think it's that kind of... It's the just-in-case uh, where... I, I, I think in, in the greater scheme of things where cuts are happening left, right and centre and places where actually the, the police force should really be putting their, their dollar, it's, it's such a shame. It's to protect the rich, really. And uh, I... I There's so much need for better policing uh, and a better uh, approach to policing and and integration and connection with protesters in supporting uh, and and not just this kind of really violent way that they kind of sweep in. I think everything's going backwards. Um, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one isn't it because the police are clearly
2: there to protect the state and to the extent that they would be uh, right to be protecting for example parliament or uh, you know state infrastructure or something like that that makes more or less a sort of sense to me but the banks are not part of the state machinery that's that's not what they're there for.
1: No and it kind of brings into question which has been another story as part of the kind of private private land and the private rules that govern places like Canary Wharf and now King's Cross and actually you know who's in charge and who's where is power being devolved it leaves a very bad taste in my mouth.
2: In the last couple of weeks we've had the ability to vote for police commissioners which I think three people in the country turned out to uh, to vote for that two of them spoiled their ballot paper and we've now got police commissioners apparently. I'm not really clear on what the police commissioners are there to do other than take a salary have you any
1: insight into that (laughs) (laughs) no but i thought that story about them not advertising that ballot as being and they said well no we put it on our free website which was so kind of wonderfully it was such a great example of their complete lack of uh, of knowledge and how to you know how to do good pr what is a commissioner doing is this just a is is just another kind of public role face, somebody who's expendable when another, you know, another corruption case comes to light. I've no idea that's a very cynical outlook <laughs> <laughs> I'm a
2: very cynical man <laughs> no it is it is a mystery to me uh, exactly what that's all about although I mean there's there is an argument isn't there if they put something out in the public domain, we don't have uh, too much trouble finding things on the internet if we want to look for them I wonder whether uh, a lot of people simply aren't politicised anymore I, I do feel like people have been sort of lulled into uh, a sort of an anaesthesia yeah. besides a lot of people have got other things to worry about them at the moment as they work for jobs to try and keep a roof over their heads
1: yeah I've I think you're absolutely right there's a there's a, a very notable apathy within the, the, the and the complacency the way rules are being changed the government is just sort of overturning so much legislation uh, and I think it's I, I think I think we're kind of just sitting at home and, and letting it wash over us and it's it's very worrying actually because you see what's going on in greece and in spain and portugal and you know the massive amounts of riot writing and in a very difficult situation and we're just kind of happily letting some some you know some really kind of worrying uh, changes to our human rights to uh, to the environment to the uh, legislation with the banks just kind of occur and w- we're going to suffer for it later on I'd love to see more direct action and m- the more empowerment for people to protest. It just seems like there isn't enough of a, of a, of a, of a re- of reproach happening to that. What's the big
2: issue for you at the moment? Because I know you, you, you mentioned that you are into direct action. You believe in getting
1: your hands dirty. I think the climate uh, climate bill being changed is probably the most worrying. I think the the government's approach to uh, planning permissions and the the removal of so much of the the opposition uh, is going to have lasting, lasting consequences on the the sight and sound of the countryside, uh, the little that we have left. I think that, for me, is the one that kind of pains me the most in some ways because, you know, the, the way that our the way that our countryside is going to look in generations to come is a real unknown as, as climate change occurs and we're looking at mass, you know, mass changes through death of ash trees uh, so if we're losing vast amounts of forest which is so, kind of makes it easier for you know suddenly for planning permission to be granted I think we're going to have a real greying out of, of the countryside and, and uh, that is for me something that really really troubles me One of the
2: things is quite obvious about london with a sort of a historical perspective is that it keeps getting bigger and it keeps sucking in more outlying towns and villages and expanding and the graying out that you're talking about happens do you realistically see a point in the future when that is going to stop or is it just an inevitability is it just a question of putting on the, the brakes as hard as possible but not actually being able to halt that process
1: well I'm not I'm not, not in favour of expansion and growth and development I think it's really important uh, however I think it's um, the reasonings behind a lot of the you know, opening up new land for, for development is not about the interest of population growth it's about feathering the pockets of big developers who've got you know uh, interests and the government have interests with because they're all in each other's pockets there's huge amounts of land that can be redeveloped uh, and re approaches to how we redevelop in the city, urban areas that are in decline. Um, so I think there's t- two very separate issues going on here. Yeah, we need to d- develop uh, develop land, uh, and but I, I think it, we need to be very careful on who, you know whose benefit that's in. I mean, look at what's happening in Ireland, and there's you know massive amounts of you know, whole council estates, whole housing estates that are being destroyed now because there's you know there's nobody there to move in because of the because of the economic crisis. There, that you know that could happen if if as a kind of legacy of these ghost towns left in this country. I don't know, I'm not an expert on the economics of it, but do we need fields turned into houses? That's a, that's a fairly big question.
2: I, f- I feel that's one of those questions we should just leave to, to hang for a moment in, in the air here at Cafe Arte. Do you know what, in honour of you being on the show, our question to readers of Londonist this week was, what's been your most memorable musical moment in London? And uh, here are some of the responses. I don't know, Sam if you might like to, to pick out one or two of your favourites here.
1: You know, it's a funny list. It's really interesting how many people it, it have kind of paid a 70 quid ticket to go to the Albert Hall and that is their greatest music experience. And there's a lot of kind of <laughs> generic answers. But actually the two ones that I think are, are really what about experiencing music is is uh, Kevin Phillips going to my son's acoustic gig and hearing him sing in front of an audience for the first time. Just, you know, that... That's, that's where emotion and pride and simplicity is so brilliant. And it's right next to um, going into the summer of 2011, first trip to London, and being in Leicester Square and hearing a, a saxophone player, probably a busker playing and you know it's that kind of those are those are sort of experiences that we walk past as we're you know when when we've bought our you know 150 quid ticket for the rolling stones uh you know you you might be passing by the most emotionally kind of rich and rewarding experience that Joni Mitchell song played real good for free about her stepping out outside her outside her concert hall and there's this saxophone player playing the most amazing tune and it's just like, you know, do we miss some of the most wonderful experiences? And I think actually London's full of music. The buskers are wonderful. Uh, the, uh, you know, the impromptu kind of musical guerrilla experiences you get. So just go and stand on St. Paul's Cathedral on a Sunday morning and bathe in the bells. That is... Phenomenal. That is just, you know, can cure diseases that experience can. We've got some phenomenal variety here as well. Get this for a (laughs) a
2: mixed group. Sharon Louise says, My first time in a black church, uh, Kennington Community Fellowship. The song service was a cappella and I sang as loud as I wanted without hearing my own voice at all. Heaven on earth. Meanwhile, Andy Bungay says, I was a participant in a military tattoo in 1981. Uh, Summer's morning, about 7.30am, briefly locked in a room with nine bagpipers getting steam up, turning up suited and booted for a Tony Bennett concert at the Albert Hall. We've got the Albert Hall again there, and realising from the demeanour of the crowd I was a night early, and they were waiting for Black Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) we've got here Ingo Pless who says I was managing a Swedish glam rock band in Dublin Castle sometime in the 90s a band totally absent of musical influence uh, and it was a ploy to kiss them all before the crowd somehow backfired we all felt awkward (laughs) not sure I completely understand what happened there but it sounds like a disaster finally Mike Patterson London Historians of course old friend of the show my worst moment was giving busking a go in tube stations in the early 80s I was crap Best moment, both Shepherd's Bush Empire, Rodriguez, about five years ago, Buddy Guy, about ten years ago.
1: Oh, great. You know, great. That's brilliant. I, I tell you, I have a, I'm really lucky. I live in uh, the Verge's flat, the KC's case, case flat of St. Mark's uh, Church, um, just off uh, in Dulston And uh, it's an Anglican church. And I'm not religious, but I just rent this this room connected to two of the halls. And on Sundays, uh, you get the uh, the West African services, you get the Jamaican services, and you get the uh, you know an, an another African kind of dom- denomination uh, Pentecostal. And I you get all these different musics and rhythms kind of bleeding through my flat, and it's just incredible. I feel like kind of my, I'm doing this kind of world tour of of, uh, of uh, religious ethnic music. It's, it's phenomenal. I was just to...
2: I don't think this will worry you at all,
1: but it would have the capacity
2: to worry a a weaker-willed person. I was talking to somebody who bought a house which was like uh, called the, the, the Old Parsonage or something like this. And they bought it and moved in, and then they got a bill for many, many tens of thousands of pounds to fix the church. Up the road, and apparently this is perfectly normal in houses that are sort of associated with the
1: church. That you are liable to fix up the church, and quite right too. Yeah, I think we should all be reliable. You know, I'm, I'm as I say, I'm not, not even Christian, but I think churches are such wonderful spaces, and a lot of churches, particularly around here, are putting themselves over as music venues and, uh, you know, bringing back the community centre aspect. And I think that's that's great. We should be taking care of our churches. Another place that uh, perhaps doesn't get cared for as well as it should is
2: the. Abbey Road crossing of uh, of Beatles fame, of course, we know that picture of them crossing the road, some with shoes, some without, etc., etc. But there's uh, Spanner in the works now.
1: There's another Abbey Road has opened up, and and why not? There's loads of abbeys and there's loads of roads. Why why should Abbey Road that we know, you know, hold hold that name as its own? well the argument goes (laughs) something like
2: Americans will get lost if we do this it's not just we should say another Abbey Road there are already 11 Abbey Roads in London but this is an Abbey Road station and of course if you're coming to London
1: you're going to think that that's the one to get off at if you want to see where the Beatles lived I think that's the best PR stunt I've ever seen and I hope it increases the the tourist trade in where is it out in Stratford somewhere (laughs) because they need visitors now what i really liked was yes you're quite <laughs> what i liked
2: was this one local news agent reports that he's having to break the bad news to around a dozen disappointed visitors every day i think we need to speak to that man
1: <laughs> i think he should uh, get a zebra crossing set up and uh, open a little recording studio this guy could make a fortune <laughs> before i get letters in by the way i know they didn't live there
2: it was a turn of phrase okay a turn of phrase, I tell you. Uh, we've got a new bridge coming in Battersea. It's one step closer, apparently. 2014. Now, I know this interests you because you're a, a keen cyclist. Are you an almost evangelical cyclist, uh, to use your your word?
1: Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a believer in it, uh, I, although I don't always cycle. Uh, I, it's, for me, it's the, it's the king of transports. Why? It's,
2: um, I mean, it's much more dangerous. Now. They just released, uh, they've just released figures, haven't they, saying that accidents on bikes have gone up 50%
1: yeah um I, I, and is that because uh, there are so many more cyclists and slightly unqualified ones on rather terrible boris bikes i don't you know who who's, is this happening to your kind of you know strapped up lighted booted uh, you know safe safe ardent cyclists or is it the, the drunken uh, you know saturday nighters that get on a kind of you know one of these free bikes and suddenly find themselves careering in the wrong gear Across busy roads, I think I
2: detect where your argument might take you. Here. I wanted to—I know I was going to pick a fight with you because you uh, <laughs> said before the show it was like red rag to a bull. Time you said that you uh, regularly go through red lights
1: and you have an excuse up your sleeve ready for the cops. Well, you know, I'm firmly aware that I'm breaking the law on a regular basis. I'm not a kind of see a red light career through it. I'm a, a real, you know, I, as a as a cyclist, my priority is safety to pedestrians. Absolutely. However. I'm also aware and I don't know my statistics very well and I may be very being very creative on this one and it's, it's, it's got me off the hook with police officers who've been sympathetic to this but I'm, I think I'd be right in saying that most accidents most fatalities happen to the majority happen to women the, uh, the, uh, the majority of uh, Women will not pass through uh, red lights. They're more likely to stay at a red light and wait till it's green. And I think that most accidents happen at that time where the lights turn, and a cyclist at the, who is most unsteady at that point is vulnerable to big trucks turning left, all that, you know, caught on corners between buses and that sort of thing. So, my view is if the, if it's clear if the road is clear you get through the red light and then you're not putting yourself in the most dangerous situation which is starting up when vehicles are taking are overtaking you and that sort of thing so it's it's in our interest in the end damn I'm pretty persuaded I've got to admit <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very
2: persuasive sort of person. Yeah, I think I think you might now. Okay, the the, uh, the the test of this, the acid test of this is, if you're on a road at night and there's a set of traffic lights, you know the ones that go red at just the wrong moment. and There's no good reason for it, anything like that. Do you cycle through those? Uh,
1: it depends. What's, I'm 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 a very a you massively mind. cycle through those. Yeah, don't yeah, you? Totally, of course I do. Of course I do. And I, you know, I th- you know, I'm not breaking for for no reason and then start you've got to conserve your energy well I've got to put up a spirited defence here what about the law what about the law well I think I'm talking to a direct action (laughs) Occupy expert we are just on Dawson Junction, yeah? I've never seen the red lights hap- uh, occur where a car hasn't jumped those red lights. Yet. At high speed, and I will regularly go out and when a car actively jumps the red light, go and get in front of that car and let them know they've just jumped a red light and they're driving dangerously. I think there should be far more... They all this... They, all. Uh, the police would do, and, and we'd save so much more money if we were to prevent accidents than the cost of of the, the NHS bill and the consequences of accidents that actually, if we were to start putting measures to protect cyclists uh, and solve the problem we'd be, we'd, uh, economically it 's uh, far more in in the public purse 's interest.
2: Right. Accidents are definitely going up, so you're trying to avoid being another statistic in that uh, in that figure. How about looking at it down the other end of the telescope, which is an increasing number of cyclists, it seems to me, feel at liberty to break the road rules, and hey presto, the accident statistics are going up. Perhaps, shouldn't it be something more like we get a a law in place or a set of laws in place governing the road that everybody's happy with that enshrines the safety of cyclists like you know some countries you're allowed to turn left or right because it's the other side of the road at a stop signal things
1: like that that just uh, free up the flow of traffic and, and make things safer Uh, You know, uh, it's a really complicated situation, this, and there are so many other uh, road laws in different countries that work better, that we could employ. I think the the issue with statistics is that, that, as I say, the statistics about road casualties is... incorporates such a vast number of different types of road users and yeah the tragic ones are where you know a regular commuter cyclist who is invariably safe is caught by a by negligent uh, heavy goods vehicle but actually there's so many terrible cyclists you know kids on their little bmx's careering through the place you know who get hit and suddenly they they increase the statistic because they are crazy users now they might have gotten hit by a car they might have also gotten shot or take overdose on drugs or whatever you know there's there's so many ways that you know they're risk takers and to lump all cyclists into one uh, and you know is 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 a kind of is a is you know it's nonsensical so you've got to kind of find rules that work for everything and maybe the rules in some ways are fine as they are and i and maybe the best thing is for cyclists just continue to break the law and they just be, you know, a slightly softer approach from police uh, and you know, pick out the ones who are obviously endangering other people's lives but if you want to take your own life into your own hands so be it. Well, I'm glad we've come to an exact agreement with each other.
2: <laughs> Have we? <laughs> I don't think anybody will ever agree on this <laughs> No. Um, one thing we can agree on, the sculpture outside... No, in fact, there's even controversy over this. We, we couldn't quite agree whether this is, in fact, somebody uh, relieving themselves outside City Hall. The rumour that we spotted on last week's show has turned out to be entirely with foundation. There is a sculpture now made out of porcelain, appropriately enough, and it's celebrating World Toilet Day, which was the 19th of november and uh, it's outside city hall as
1: i say a fellow taking a poo with great posture uh, i must add you know none of that kind of sitting upright as though you're at a school desk you know he's properly squatting extending his colon uh, which i think is the you know the ancestral way that one should relieve themselves it seems to matter to you as somebody who has uh pooed in the woods on many an occasion, I know there's nothing more rewarding than that feeling of, you know, having really gotten down onto your, onto your heels, uh, you know, l- lent forward and, uh, uh, and the satisfaction from that, yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know how the hell I do the sponsorship announcement after that. You might be interested to know that the statue itself is sponsored by Domestas, <laughs> appropriately enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Without any link implied or explicit, our sponsors this week, as ever, are audible.co.uk. If you want to get a free digital audiobook, and why wouldn't you, then you can do so. They've got 60,000 of them uh, sitting there waiting for you to pluck one as you see fit. And uh, you can also sign up for a 30 day free trial of the Audible. Service. I use this. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I may have mentioned before I'm working through Hilary Mantel's oeuvre at the moment. And it's great to be able to sit there and be read, too. You can play your audiobook on iPads, iPods, iPhones everything basically and you can burn it to a cd and keep it forever and it's uh, yours whether you decide to stay on with your trial period or not all you need to do to get that free audiobook is to go to www.audible.co.uk forward slash londonist and click through Well, Samley, we're right up against the clock, it turns out. There's a lot of art, a lot of really interesting art going on here. We've got a phone box shrine to Sherlock Holmes at St. Bart's at the moment. Well, it's a a shrine, I should say, to the Sherlock Holmes uh, that appears on the TV. So all a bit peculiar and... Too involved. Too involved, yes, exactly. Something that I think is really to be trumpeted is Victoria Park being voted the uh, favourite park, not just of London, but of the UK.
1: Uh, great, good on it, it's the, it's the oldest park in London and it's a beautiful one uh, I have kind of a personal connection to it that uh, it was very popular with the Jewish community back in the kind of early, early 20th century and my grandparents uh, uh, strolled there much in their day um, and it's just it's, it's, got the, it's great for cyclists there's no signs where you can go and where you can't go and all that business and it just feels like a very free relaxed and apart with a, a great sense of, uh, of openness to it
2: Yes totally agree and they've tarted it up as well of course since the Olympics was in town uh, check out the uh, the cafe down there what's it called the uh, begins with a P I think well anyway find the lake with the fountain yeah find the uh, find the pagoda. little cafe there Pago- pagoda pagoda cafe. Pavilion. pavilion it's the pavilion we were close yes okay. the pavilion cafe they do a mean uh, breakfast very good there the other thing worth mentioning is death a self-portrait at the welcome collection now I was down there just the other day really worth a, a visit of course we recorded at the welcome a few weeks ago but the exhibition well it's uh, something to behold not least for One of the funniest pieces I think I've ever seen, which is a very realistic, uh, kind of disemboweled body that's missing limbs and so forth, made out of wax. Um, Very, very realistic, sitting in a hunched over position with its guts hanging out. And the title of this piece is, Are
1: You Still Mad at Me? (laughs) (laughs) They've always had a really kind of creative uh, strand to their exhibitions. It's not always kind of, you know, classic museum uh, exhibits there's a there's a, they've they've lots of humor and although I haven't seen this this uh, particular one on death I, it's uh, the welcome question i think is one of london's gems well we're just about
2: there but there is time and you are not expecting this uh, we we finish every week with uh, an historical quiz and i think as a guardian of uh, stories and ideas and memories through your music who better to be subjected to the historical quiz than you, Samley?
1: I failed history at GCSE. <laughs> I can't remember my kings and queens. Please don't ask me about my kings and queens. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. For one point.
2: OK. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll give you a one-point advantage, seeing as how you've pleaded. This is how you do it with the police as well, isn't it, at the crossings? <laughs> exactly. Right. This week in London, five questions. Monday, the 12th of November, 1974 what was seen in the Thames for the first time since 1834 Ah, I think I know the answer to this Uh, Was it a salmon? It it certainly is a salmon A nine pound salmon was caught in the Thames the first time that a fish had been seen since uh, 1834 and it was sent to the British Museum
1: for identification improvements in the water quality were hailed and I I will just uh, the reason why I know that is because I'm uh, very fond of swimming in the river down in Deptford Uh, and I'm the Thames is one of the greatest rivers to swim when you get high tide just as it's turning high Amazing, really warm, slightly brackish, and it's phenomenal. And I, just the other day, I was coracling down past the Tate in this little coracle I built. And you can, in fact, see footage of it very soon, will be coming out. But wow, get out on that river and use it, swim in it. It's really, really clean, uh, one of the cleanest in Europe. You
2: have possibly one of the most complicated lifestyles of anybody who's been on this show. Pleasure seeking, I can assure you. <laughs> Tuesday the 13th of November 1642 during the first English Civil War the Royalist and Parliamentary Armies face off against each other in a major battle but where in London was that in uh, 13th of November 1642 Um, what were they fighting over well they didn't like each other much did that happen, did that happen, Lincoln's in Fields, by any chance? No, not a bad guess, um, completely the wrong place, but you're right to be picking somewhere that's uh, got an open space in its name. <laughs> There's a tube stop there, if it helps. Uh, <laughs> doesn't
1: never, never. Not Abbey Road. No. Uh, was it the Aldwych? You're not going to get this, are you? No. No,
2: it was uh, Turnham Green. Ah, uh-huh, OK. Uh, so we've got, uh, what, two points with your uh, bonus point, which I'm minded to take away from you. Uh, 14th of November, this is right up your street, a royal question. 14th of November, 1973, a royal marriage takes place at
1: Westminster Abbey. Who was getting hitched? 1973? Uh, oh God. Was it Fergie and Prince Andrew? Was it P- Princess Anne? Yes, and her husband (laughs) yes
2: I can't deny that one Captain Mark Phillips (laughs) so that gives us uh, the next question 15th of November 1977 four years later they give birth to their first well she gives birth to their first child Peter Mark Andrew Phillips four first names at St Mary's Hospital where is St Mary's Hospital
1: uh, St Mary's Hospital, is that in Sloan, uh, kind of back of Sloane Square, kind of um, uh, St John's Wood? Uh, it's, it's kind of back of Sloan Square, it's kind of, yeah. It's
2: Paddington. Paddington. 16th of November 1961, a baby is born at Hammersmith Hospital. He would become a successful boxer, winning the WBC Heavyweight Championship as well, as becoming a pantomime celebrity. Who are we talking about? Oh oh it's got to be chris eubank it's not chris eubank oh same era same era Uh, much deeper voice than eubank
1: give me his initial
2: well you can have it yes fb but i'm deducting half a point frank bruno whose first name is in fact franklin didn't know oh, that Franklin yes okay so by hook and crook you've got uh, 27 points which puts you uh, I don't know how you did that you, you sort of persuaded points. me yeah it's bizarre isn't it I hardly noticed that happened I'll send this for judicial review later on I suspect <laughs>
1: this, this explains why I've never been arrested at red lights or been fined I managed to uh, ch- talk slash cheat my way out of it <laughs>
2: Yes, I feel I've been diddled. Um, Sam, give us details of your website and upcoming appearances, because I know you're going to be here next year, but uh, you've got all sorts of other stuff. You're on Keris Matthews' show
1: on uh, the BBC (laughs) over the weekend. (laughs) That's true. Sunday morning, I will be doing a live session with her on BBC 6. And then I've got lots of live dates coming up over February where I start the kind of national tour. Uh, I'm in Cafe Otto on, I think, the Friday the 15th of February, and we're doing kind of four shows in London over that that week, Cecil Sharp House, the Bedford in South London and the Tabernacle West London uh, and you can find out everything about me on uh, samleesong.co.uk and you can find out more about the album there as well. And
2: where can we see pictures of you in
1: a coracle? Uh, that will be part of a music video, uh, a folk music video which will be coming out with the singles later on in the year.
2: Good stuff And uh, and congratulations on your recent Mercury Prize nomination as well And I, I gather you're glad Because we, we, we were discussing this Apparently there's a bit of a curse for winners So it looks like you've, you have you, you genuinely seem happy to have sidestepped that one
1: uh, Absolutely um, I, I think if I had won the pressure on the expectation on album 2 And you know you know you're kind of suddenly the most famous musician in the country for somebody who's got a lot more work to do to establish my you know my my name and my uh, my artistic intent i think you know it's great the nomination is brilliant but it gives me the freedom to now kind of pursue what i want to be doing without the kind of overlooking glare of the music business
2: (laughs) (laughs) well congratulations on it and family thank you very much Thank you for
1: having me, and it's been great.
2: And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to my guest, Sam Lee, and also to Hamish Dunbar. Thanks, too, to Bernie Barkley, Zoe Craig, Rhea Heath, and Dave Haste. Theme and incidental music was by Jack Hurd and Rory Anderson. And I am N. Quentin Wolf. bye
0: I need the my child, the, the cries. Do these like us, still singing
1: in the sunlight.